You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, in rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here, and uh, going to have Chainsaw Chad back on the podcast this week. Um, and we're going to cover something uh, I don't think we've covered yet. Um, but it's been on our mind a lot. It's been a uh, discussion of Chad and I's for a while, especially getting into this season. Um, so, Chad, thanks for joining us once again. Good to be here. Yeah, what, what uh, you know, Chad, let's talk a little bit about an update. Um, man, um, kind of where the farm's at right now as far as timber harvest, as far as just everything going on. Probably. The logger's still rolling along, but it'll be it'll be that way for a while. I yeah. mean, we're going to touch on it in the podcast, but they'll be cutting for for a while on that on the farm. So we've been getting we finally got a decent rain. So got food plots planted for the most part yesterday. Got some stuff to finish up, but there's actually moisture in the ground now. So yep. Hopefully, hopefully keep rolling and get that done this week. That's right. Um, take advantage of the holiday weekend that's right for sure and so cows have been rotated once a week um because that's all our schedules will allow um we actually grazed some beans this week um part part of a field to kind of see how the cows reacted to that trying to test some different things with grazing and mob grazing and uh planting uh food plots in the mix of that um, so we'll kind of follow along on that uh, experiment. Um, the logging, like I said, you know, it's it's uh, early September, and they're going to be here for several more months, I would imagine. Um, and so, you know, weather dependent, uh, as long as it doesn't get too wet this winter, 
hopeful they'll be done sometime early in the spring or mid-spring. And uh, and the place will be completely, What basically to me, I look at it going, as long as everything's logged by um, spring green up. So we get a full growing season next year of everything full can uh, full open sun and all the thing different. Yeah, for sure. That's what um and then we're going to have a full growing season of cows not on the riparian area and not in parts of the woods that they were in and and so it'll be like totally different next year thinking about um thinking about the plant response, the lack of disturbance uh on certain places. Well, I guess the lack of cattle disturbance, but we have major disturbance with the timber operation. So, um, yeah, and then, but, you know, it's it's September 5th. Uh, there's one thing I want to give you guys, uh, tell you about right now. Um, so we're doing a special campaign um, with camo hats on our store, shoplandandlegacy.com. And if you go there and use the promo code FALL, F-A-L-L, for any of the camo hats. Um, I think all we have, and I'm only telling you guys because you're our loyal followers here or loyal listeners, um, that it's only on the First Light Fusion Whitetail, and we've got a handful of them in stock, and then we've got uh, the Cypher Turkey. Uh, we've got more of those in stock. Those were kind of a late arrival after turkey season, but we wanted to run a um, a discount for you guys to take advantage of as we're all getting ready for fall, and that knocks off $12 off the hat. So the hat's originally um, $32, and so now you can get it for 20 bucks. So it's a great bargain, um, and, yeah, it's uh, hopefully you guys will take advantage of it. So promo code fall at shoplandandlegacy.com on any of the camo hats that we have in the store there. Um, and that's just another thank you to you guys. Um, so, when it comes to hunting season, uh, each year, uh, it seems like, <laughs> and I'm, I know we're guilty of this, Chad, every year, but turkey season's over and we kind of shift turkey season's over you go into food plots and food plots we're thinking about most of the time thinking about deer and everybody's just starts to shift and is totally thinking about deer and the the expectations are high the um Antler inches are very high. You see a few bucks with great starts. You know, they've got some mass, and they've got big old, you know, mass antlers starting to form, and they're only going up four inches. Like, he's off to a great start. He's going to be a good buck. He's going to be a really good buck. And then they keep getting pictures into May and into June, and he's blowing up, and you're just all sorts of excited. And then sometime mid-June, late June, the tines are pretty formed, and we're going, oh, he's not as big as I thought he was going to be. And then they start vanishing, or, you know, they get a lot less patternable. They shed velvet, which we're right here at that shedding velvet time. And so bucks start vanishing, and it's like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? 
uh, they're they're just not around anymore. And you start to sing the blues, and then you go, well, I just I just don't have the bucks that I thought I would. I just don't know if they're there. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. And it's kind of like you you spend all fall hoping for a, a random buck that you haven't had all summer just to show up and be your your new target buck. And it happens for a lot of people. It happened for us last year. The buck I shot showed up. I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then ended up shooting him. And uh, he was just a surprise. And that's just like, man, what a kind of kick in the gut to manage a property all year to be reliant on some buck that spent his whole growing season over on somebody else's farm to show up and that's your new target buck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To, to sit there and like, cause you're, you're left to wonder like, okay, what do I do? Do I do nothing? Do yeah. I leave the place alone? Do I stay off of it and hope that maybe my cameras show a deer showing up or do I just go in and do habitat work? And or take care of other things that need to be done on the farm and then also hope that maybe some of that spurs them on. I mean, we both kind of share the thoughts of sometimes sometimes the habitat work will draw them. That's right. Yeah. And, and, And that's what is killing me is just like, man, you know, we felt guilty. We had a couple of bucks that we were really focused on the last couple of years, but then some random dude shows up, which is great. But if my whole, if my farm was dependent on, upon, my hit list was dependent upon a rando to show up during the fall, I would be looking at, okay, what else can I do? Is there anything else to do? What what other stuff to have go? And that goes with the title of the podcast, The Year of Sacrifice, or A, a Year in Sacrifice. Because what we're basically saying is some years... If you would sacrifice those years and say, you know what, and I, I'm going to paint a picture for a lot of listeners, if you're in this boat, maybe this is your year of sacrifice. Do you find yourself saying, I've had some good deer, but not the one I'm looking at, not the one I'm looking for, so I'm waiting. If you're if you're looking for a buck just to show up and be your new target buck, maybe this should be your year of sacrifice. If you've got um, way too many deer, you've noticed that all your summer food plots have been overbrowsed. Very little stuff made it um, to actual maturity. Um, too many deer. Even if you planted blends, which is, seems to be more popular, and all you planted was a bunch of blends, thinking, and I've, you know, we've seen this on a couple of our plots in the past yet in certain areas. Um, like one of our areas this year, it got hit pretty hard, but we still had a lot of sun hemp, um, you know, and then we had the occasional, uh, tests like we have okra mixed in. We also have some, uh, um, our cowpeas, random, um, buckwheat, buckwheat did pretty good. But if all you find in your blend to be milo or millet, you have way too many deer. That's just, they, they've eaten everything, even the ones that, you know, Milo's supposed to protect those other ones. And if they can't even protect the other ones, you know you have way too many deer. So if you just That's have... That's been kind of a, an, an, 
an unexpected benefit to me to the heritage blend is the you can almost gauge if you've got too many deer. If you plant that and you see tons of legumes of the cowpeas and lab lab and stuff like that, you know, okay, we're, we're probably in pretty decent shape. Then you go to beehive that we looked at yesterday and it was like, wow, this one's getting smoked. And we had a lot of millet. There was a lot of Milo still, but like the sun hemp was not real tall and it was browsed hard. You didn't see a whole lot of component of cowpeas and they were eaten. The okra was stobs. They were eating it hard. Um, I even saw Milo heads that were, were eaten on. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, we've, we've got a lot of deer in this area. That's right. You know, it may not seem like a, it may not seem like we have too many deer, but when you're seeing that and then like we drive through, you know, I felt like we've had a pretty good ear on the, ear on the ground over the years of, of the deer population. Like, because we've seen both sides, uh, we've seen low deer numbers to very, very high deer numbers. So I can have a pretty good experience on on what to look for and some of the main indicators in that. And one of them, I mean, I've seen the I've seen one end of the spectrum to the very other side of the spectrum. And the very other end of the spectrum where you're like, I'm gonna have to shoot a absolute pile of deer this year. We're gonna have to line up a bunch of donation boxes and figure out where to give these deer because we won't eat that many. And then I've seen the other side going, we just don't have that many deer. We've got a few deer, we see a few, but we just don't have that many. And if you were to ask me, you can put me on one side of that spectrum versus the other and say, work from here, I would go on the very few deer. Um, Because at least as we inch forward, I can keep it contained. But when they get so stinking high to a point where you're like, I'm going to have to kill fill in the blank and you know i've got 200 acres and i feel like i'm gonna have to kill 10 does or 15 does or 20 does Woof! you've got a you're gonna have work on your hands a lot of work well the the worst part of that is if they're to that point it's one of those that you probably have a decent habitat to 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 supply a lot of mouths yeah so the first response of the deer that are left is you see reproductive rates go through the roof where you're seeing a lot of like twins into triplets. Yeah. And it's, you seem overwhelmed like, Oh, I, I, I just can't keep up. And it's like, mm-hmm. maybe take a sacrifice here. Yep. And <laughs> you're so- seeing an effect, your buck size it might be a good idea. Yep, exactly. So the year of sacrifice, like, and, and so, one of the things about this, the year of sacrifice that we want to talk about is Chad and I's year of sacrifice. And over the years since early 90s, when we really started hunting, there wasn't that many deer. Um, we didn't have a lot of deer, and, and we, we hunted pretty hard during that during the rut, during rifle season. We just didn't see a ton of deer. Um, and But that's the consensus with the whole neighborhood. Um, just not nearly as many deer as as there are now and as we talk to neighbors um as we talk to people in our area they're like i'm seeing more deer this year even guys you know six seven miles north of us very similar habitat type they're going i'm just i'm really seeing 
a lot more deer this year. And all of that is like, okay, people are noticing. And um, the the comment that we keep hearing, though, is it seems that we're finally getting to have some nice deer around here, meaning we're we're seeing a lot of decent bucks, but we're seeing a lot more deer. And it's like, okay, okay, now that we all realize that we're seeing deer, we need to make sure we don't let it get out of control because it can get out of control pretty quickly. And once it gets to that point, I hate to say it, but the best thing to happen for us would be a an EHD outbreak because we'd knock the population way back down. Yeah. And and I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again that sometimes the the places that have the hardest hit EHD have the highest deer populations and the habitat just can't sustain it. And I I had a guy in Arkansas this this week text me a picture of a dead deer. Uh-huh. Or they texted me last week, but they were talking to me this week about it. Another yeah. guy. And I said, I, I'm sure it's probably EHD. And they uh, they made the comment, man, we see like 20 does to every buck. And oh, yeah. Like every field we drive through, we see like 30 deer in it in the evenings. Mm. And I'm like, well, it's probably a good bet you had EHD because you probably have too many deer for the habitat that you have. Yep. Yep. And like, I mean... I've I've seen this so many times where guys let a big buck prevent them from managing does, and I know, I know I've said that on the so I, I hope I said it on the podcast for so I hope I don't feel like you guys feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but um, when it comes to managing the deer population, it's or the herd um, and doing proper herd management, it's crucial in the uh, quality of the bucks that you're hunting. Let's say your goal is to shoot the, you know, a Boone and Crockett buck, a, a, a better than average buck. You're not going to get it on a consistent basis. You're not going to be allowed to even chase one or have one around if you let the population get out of control to where there's more deer than you have quality vegetation and quality habitat. But if you really raise the bar of quality habitat, to like maximum production, but then you lower the herd population to where there's ample forage cover and everything the deer needs. And that that's when you can really get into maximum production of that deer herd. And so many times I've seen guys let the deer herd get out of control. And then when a few years of that go by, if they're still hunting the Boone and Crockett buck, the giant, they're going, well, I just don't have them this year. That's when it's time to do a year or two of sacrifice. And when we say sacrifice, we mean sacrifice, the hardcore, no disturbance, sneak around the farm hunting the one giant you have and go, this is the year that I'm going to knock the population back down to a healthy number and so, and then I'm going to stay on it, but it's not going to be nearly as much work in the future as it is this year. And I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep my hand holding that down and I'm going to allow my deer herd to be uh, more productive because I've got on it. And that's where we're at this year in our year of sacrifice. Well, and, and I mean, part of our time, tying in with our sacrifice year, part of ours is also the amount of disturbance on the farm. We know that this year is already going to have a lot of disturbance. Because of the the logging operation, 
and everything entailed in the logging operation. I'm walking ahead and covering every inch of the farm, marking leaf trees ahead of the logger. Yep. So we're disturbing the whole farm pretty consistently through the fall. Yes. So we, if a good deer shows up, a good deer shows up, we kind of, I mean, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all, but as of right now, it's like when we talk on the, on the cameras, we're not seeing a ton on that farm because of how much disturbance is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of said, okay. And keep in mind listeners that it's not to say that, that logging blows the deer out of the neighborhood because our loggers are reporting back to us. They're seeing deer, but those big mature deer that we're looking for, I don't think they like it nearly as much as the does and even the three and a half year old bucks. Not to say that they're not going to be hanging around, but also keep in mind that we have very few trail cameras out on that farm for fear of getting smashed or cut and the tree getting yeah. cut with the trail that's, camera on that's it. So that's a big part of why we haven't really and monitored it, the whole place. And it really would not surprise me to see some heavy rut activity in all these treetops where the loggers have been. It wouldn't surprise me at all to this, like later on in October to start seeing a lot of rut activity around yeah. all the previously logged stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think just... that's where, um, as we look at the logging, we're, we both know, you know, there there may be times where we're in a tree stand this fall and we're hearing a logger cutting trees and going around. Like, we're going to hear that. But that's all part of the big picture. We have to sacrifice this fall. And frankly, I feel like we're I would rather them cut in the fall and winter than in the spring and summer when it's likely going to be much wetter. Um, it's just it's not as conducive for for uh, the dry spell. Like it's we've had more dry falls than we've had in the past five years. Fall and winter have been our driest season, and so as long as we can get through this fall and it be dry, then oh man, I'm going to say cut trees, boys, and let's get some work done. Yeah, for sure. And and for so, sure. you know, we have a couple of scenarios of a sacrifice that's happening on our farm this year. One being the logging, and we're making sure that um, we can get uh, basically all the trees cut, roads not rutted up because it's super wet. We're also utilizing um, the logging to lay out, you know, future bedding, future uh, savannas, all that stuff. And then in the meantime, so we're sacrificing the non-disturbance, the the uh, people on the farm throughout the fall. Like, it's just the way it is. We're having to sacrifice this year because of the logging operation. And I want to talk more about sacrificing a year and getting more other types of work done. And then we're also sacrificing going, okay, because of where we're at with the logging, the, the habitat is getting ready to explode the habitat is getting ready to just completely go crazy with more sunlight, more plants, more herbaceous plants, more food, better oaks, more acorns. And in the meantime, all that happening, we're going to try to really knock the population back down and shoot 15, 20 does, hopefully, you know, 10 to 20 does on, on this farm 
or on the family farm and this farm and knock the population down. We're going to talk to our neighbors, try to get them on board with shooting some does. So the whole area we're around can knock that population down to where when it does go crazy, it's like, you know, they've got everything they could ever want. And there's not that social stress. There's not that, um, major explosion that usually follows right in tow with a major habitat restoration project that we've seen throughout the country with our habitat management company. Because it's happened, I mean, you see it everywhere. Yeah. You see it on all kinds of places where that happens, where as soon as habitat work is done, a major habitat work is completed with all the flush of food, everything, the, the deer population explodes instantly. And a lot of it's generally it's been one of those where they've been letting the deer population grow, trying to get more deer, and then they do the the habitat work and been borderline on too many deer, and then it explodes and it's impo- it's almost impossible to keep up. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what we don't want to do because I've been farm manager in that scenario. I've been friend of a of a guy who's got that going on and and that's not a place you want to be where you've got way too many deer and for some of you that is where you're at permanently until you have a natural kill off because you have a smaller parcel or your whole neighborhood is over is overpopulated or and this is kind of like the bermuda triangle for some of you you don't have a big enough population or a big enough chunk of the neighborhood to make that happen. You have way too many deer throughout the entire neighborhood, and state regs only give you two antlerless doe tags. And there's many clients that are in that Bermuda Triangle right there when it comes to trying to improve the herd um, by by uh, having basically everywhere you turn you're like i can't make a difference i can't make a difference i can't make a difference um well, you know you if you get to the point of where you have that many deer where you're dealing with social stress and you're seeing your top end bucks decline you're not seeing the 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 top end that you used to have it's going to take more than one sacrificial year oh totally That's the problem yeah. it's going to take multiple years of sacrifice of just annihilating deer Yes. To get it back to a reasonable population. Yep. And and I think, you know, if you can sacrifice a year. So if you're in a ser- scenario where you don't have a hit list buck on camera right now, make this your sacrificial year. If you have too many, if you feel like you have too many does, make this your sacrificial year. If you have one or two decent bucks, go to other parts of the farm and start trying to sacrifice those areas, knock the population down. If you need to get a timber harvest done or a massive work project, uh, and this is the only time of the year that you can make it happen, do it. Even if it's October, do it. If you have a whole bunch of cool season grasses throughout your entire farm and you're like, I really need to take care of that, spring's too busy, make this the, the, the fall of sacrifice and spray it in the middle of hunting season. Get rid of that stuff. Make it a sacrificial year and and go, okay, well... I know I've got more work to do. Um, don't shut off the tractor. Don't shut off the workload just because it's hunting season. And let's, uh, that drives let's me crazy. Let's face it, with a lot of that stuff, it's not a sacrificial year. No. It's a sacrificing a day of hunting. That's all it comes yeah. down to. And maybe even not it's, that. You just get out of the stand a little earlier and go spray midday and jump back in in the afternoon. 
it's like if you if you come around and you need some uh, diversity in your burning. It's like, yeah. oh, I need a fall burn. Ooh, I don't want to burn in the fall because that's hunting season. I don't want to mess anything up. Yeah. It's like we probably ought to look at our priorities. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, and I think that's one of the big things. If you can sacrifice a year and knock the, you know, knock the deer population down, log it if you have to, do other work projects, old field management, spraying the cool season grass is a huge one. The other one is going, I get this question a lot, and I felt like it was a good time to to mention it, is it's late in the summer, it's early in the fall, I haven't had a chance to do any of my cuts, should I just wait until next winter to do them? And I'm like, you're wasting the fall. I mean, you're going to you're gonna do them next winter, and you're going to have to wait a whole other eight months, nine months to enjoy them. I would go ahead and cut now. Uh, if you got hack and squirrel, like you've got a bunch of mid-story junk trees that you really need to get rid of, go ahead, even if it's September, go ahead and start doing it. Get to it. Don't let it stop you. I feel like one of the biggest obstacles in the way of improving a farm is a number one hit list buck. So many times we see guys who won't do anything because they don't want to push the buck away. They don't want to alert the buck of their presence. And they let the property deteriorate or continue to decline in production because year after year after year, there's a new number one hit list buck that they don't want to disturb. And yeah. if you look over time, probably that number one hit list buck slowly got, and it being different deer, he got a little, they got a little smaller and a little smaller or a little bit more spaced out in, in years where one year they didn't have them, the next year there was one, and it just slowly degraded because they wouldn't sacrifice a year or better yet, they wouldn't just do it when they had the time to do it. Yep. And that, that one right there to me is like, okay. When you think it, of how it's much not the time... hunting industry. Like, you don't just roll into your farm, you watch a couple hunting shows, and boom, now it's back to, now you're going to, it's going to be amazing. Like, you have to put the work in. And a lot of times, if, if landowners have put the work in that we give away here for free each and every week, they'll probably have a better experience than what the hunting industry showed them on TV. And and that's, to me, like, if you could just see it, see what we're trying to show you and go in and cut, cut your bet. You haven't cut any betting tickets in? Cut them in now. Who cares? You don't have time to wait. Don't wait till January. Go ahead and do it now. Deer are going to adapt to it tonight after you cut it. Deer are going to be using it this fall Two months after you cut it, do it. Don't we've, let it stop we've started, you. We've started making a habit of that. On days that we plan on hunting, if the wind, if we have terrible wind or no wind yeah, or it's hot, any of those days, like, well, I guess let's bust out the chainsaws and get something done. Yeah. Make let's the day go, productive. Let's we go spray some invasives. Yep. And, and to me, you know, sometimes you need to just sacrifice your time. And, I mean, Chad, there's been, in the last three years, m multiple times where we've had intentions 
of hunting. We've gotten to the farm. The wind is not quite doing what was forecasted, and we end up doing work instead of hunting. Oh, all the time. And, and when you when you live in the terrain that we live in, and have the tim the the timber the timber cover and the terrain, the wind is so inconsistent and so unpredictable that you really don't know. Yeah. You so we're really... always prepared to <laughs> do something else. Yeah, and I th- and I hope that our listeners will take this one thing away in this podcast is don't let a what if buck prevent you from doing the now, prevent you from improving the farm now, prevent you from shooting does and knocking the population back. People think that to grow bigger antlers, you got to have this type of feed or this type of mineral year round. You got to add this amount of, uh, this many acres of food plots. You've got to have, um, this many acres for your farm. When in reality, it really comes down to simple biology, simple, uh, metrics in, in the size of going, you have this amount of nutrients and, and I guess it doesn't make much sense when I say this amount and I put my hands up. Nobody can see where my hands are at. But if you have a certain amount, the the bar is up here at six foot tall. I'm just holding it right at the top of my head, slightly above because I'm only 5'11". There's the bar for the habitat. And go ahead and do the work and raise it up to 6'6". Six six six, but then your population is is down here. Uh, or is up there at seven and a half. You gotta lower that population down. If you want big deer, lower the population down to four and a half feet. And and I'm just using where my hands are at and get that habitat up to five and a half. Get the habitat more productive than the amount of deer that are on the farm. Well, and you it, know the, the hunting industry, or all through hunting, we've latched on to the what if on bucks. You know. The passing the deer at three to get to four yeah. because what if he might get bigger? Oh, I'll, I'll let that deer go. I'll sacrifice this year on killing that deer so that he can get bigger. Well, why is it so hard to sacrifice a year of I might not kill a buck or I might not do it to have, say, three or four years down the line, it's so much better. Yeah, You may have more deer, bigger deer to sacrifice that one year. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to do in passing deer and letting them get bigger. People have gotten, but it's hard to. They've gotten it's easier, and I think that's what she said. Maybe I'll simplify, but it's easier for them to sacrifice years than it is to sacrifice one three and a half year old buck or one two and a half year old buck. Like that two and a half year old buck gets shot by their neighbor, and they cringe and they're like sick about it, but they'll walk blindly year after year and just letting that year get away from them. When if they if they would let one year if they would do the work one year, cut in the bedding thickets, spray the cool season grasses, edge feather, burn whatever it may be, and you don't even have to do all of them, just a few of them, and they could be well beyond their way to being the best farm in the neighborhood. But yeah, they walk well, through it blindly. And, and, it's you know more and more people are learning to pass deer and let them get older. Yes. And it's like you could do this habitat work and possibly guarantee them a better chance at going because your habitat is that much better. And they may stick around and they may live longer Yeah, because of that instead of venturing onto your neighbor. That's right. 
Yeah. So, anyway, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out podcast number two um, this this week. Um, Matt and I are going to record tomorrow, and you guys will hear it the next day. So, um, guys, um, thanks again. You know, it's already hunting season for some of you, so be safe. And, uh, guys, I know it's, it's, shoot, almost a week from now, it's going to be opening up in Missouri. So, craziness, craziness. Chad, thanks again. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>